This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Hi there, my name's Jeremy Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast We Listen To podcast, as well as the founder of the Facebook group by the same name. On my show, I interview the host of other podcasts. It gives you a chance to get a little bit of the behind-the-scenes action, maybe find a new favorite podcast, or maybe find out something you didn't know about one of your current favorites. I'll be interviewing Jerry and Tracy over the next day or two, but for now, like you, I'm listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver With every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And them good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die this All right, and welcome to episode 55. Five. 55. 55. I'm alive. We want to thank everybody for giving us a very special one-year anniversary. We've gotten record-breaking numbers on the show. Very much appreciated. And you guys have been very kind in your remarks and iTunes reviews. Yeah, thank for, you so much. For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But most of you have been really nice, and uh, thank you, guys. That was the fun show to do. Um, had a good time doing it, and we're ready to get on to the next. Yep, so let's jump right on into this. Uh, I want to give some shout-outs real quick. Obviously, first and foremost, military and the civil servants around the world, no matter what country you're in, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you, and God bless you. I want to give a big thank you to Jeremy Collins. You just heard Jeremy in the little intro. He is the... 
uh, host of a podcast we listen to. It's an actual podcast, but he also runs the uh, Facebook page or Facebook group, I should say, by the same name, uh, podcast we listen to. And they've done wonders to try to bring um, you guys together as far as communities. So there's like 13, 14,000 members constantly going up, and it's uh, fun to be in the group and, and associate with everybody and get to talk to everybody. And Jeremy has actually asked Tracy and I to be on his show. Thank you, Jeremy. That's so nice. So we'll be recording that very soon, and it'll be out probably in the next week or so. So oh, thanks for that. Good. We've got one new patron. Uh, we obviously aren't retiring this week. <laughs> Amber Chitwood. I had to make sure I said that right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amber, for contributing. Thank you, sweetheart. We appreciate you so much. Some iTunes reviews. Um, mostly good. So we've got... Um, Guess who got picked on again? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, though. So let's start with the good ones. We've got uh, Kate Duncan, 83. We have J3NN Gone. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Then we've got Rita Dash Orson. I don't know if that's her last name or if mm-hmm. it's like two people. R. Staten. Could be Staten. I think it's Staten because it's got two T's. Miss Blank Blakeston. And then we've got Scare, Scary Horror News. That's horror, not horror. Scary Horror News. I like that. And you said you had a story for us. Contact us. Send us an email because I'd love to get you uh, on the air, either on our Patreon show or, or on our uh, regular show. Yeah. So contact us and talk to us. Hurry up, uh, too. Ricky Harris, 21. Aunt Jer Jer. Tripcon. Peg Jones. Big Text Dave. Now, those are the good ones. What, the good reviews? Those are the good reviews. <laughs> now, we had uh, a couple that was odd. Now, we had one that said Journeyman James. All it said was he gave us three stars and said something to the effect of liked it, but then it said you had to go and say something bad about Trump. Well, let me explain this to you. This is not a political show. We don't have any difference who the hell the president is because they're all going to do the same shit, take handouts and not accomplish anything for us. Trump has though. So I don't care if it's Trump, Obama, Clinton, any of them, as far as I'm concerned, my little life is going to continue on the same way no matter who's there, so I really don't care who's in office. So if we make a joke about Trump or a joke about Clinton or a joke about Obama, that's what it is, a joke. I don't even remember that joke. It's It was like 15, 20 episodes ago. Oh, it was well, forever. Of course I don't remember I that. remember because somebody else made a comment at the time. The bottom line is, if you're listening to a show for paranormal or if you're listening to a show for rock and roll or whatever that's what you need to be listening to not for our political beliefs because we really don't have any political beliefs so uh to be honest with you well we got political beliefs but i don't have any political beliefs you just don't give a crap no i just don't give a crap because nothing i care about is going to matter to them guys yeah that's just the way it is things are going to run the way the handout people wanted to run and that's just the way it is so therefore that's the way i feel about it that's why I don't even bother to vote. I've not voted one time in my life because I don't feel like that my vote's going to make a bit of damn difference. Even if the person I want it gets in, it's not going to make a difference. So that's pretty much it. That's so not true. That's but true. anyway. That's 100% true. We're not going to get into an argument. <laughs> the bottom line is, Mr. Journeyman James. We appreciate that you listen. I don't. Uh, I don't appreciate it at all. If you're going to drop the show because we made a Trump joke, more power to you. See you. Bye. Hmm. So that's my thoughts on it. Now, we do have one more. Smoking Chimp 
I'm sure that's <laughs> aptly named. He made another personal comment about Tracy and that how, how horrible she is and uh. and how she just ruins the flow of the show. Look, here's the deal, people. We are not going to be for everybody. We're not Jim Harold's show. We're not uh, some of the shows out there that are really, I guess, serious on the topic. This show is meant to mix paranormal with comedy. If you don't like that, unfortunately, this was probably not the show for you. But I think from what we see on our many hundreds of other reviews, most people like what we do. I would like to be able to say that everybody would just enjoy everything we do. That's not ever going to be the case. It don't matter who you are. It don't matter how great you are. It don't matter if it's music. It don't matter if it's podcasting. Not everybody's going to like what you do, and we can deal with that. Yeah, it's okay. The bottom line is there are several really serious paranormal shows, and if that's more what you're looking for, our show's probably just not for you. I mean, that's that's what they do. This is what we do, and I think most of you guys enjoy what we do, so thank you so much for listening, and we greatly appreciate we it. We do appreciate you guys, and I'm sorry, I guess. <laughs> She needs, you tell everybody can send Tracy a message and tell her to grow some balls <laughs> oh. and quit being so petty over here. Sometimes you just got to say what's on your mind. I don't, hey, look, I don't expect great reviews all the time. We're going to get some negative reviews, and I'm all for that. Once again, as we discussed with Dina Marie, there's no need to make it personal. If you don't like the show, put out a review that said, you know what, just don't like the show. It's not for me. Three stars. Fine, but when you start naming people and start saying this person has a horrible laugh or this person makes ignorant comments or this person ruins the flow of the show, it's unnecessary. There's no need for it. And that's just my thought process. So, Thank you, honey. You're welcome. All right. right. That's a perfect lead-in to studio headphones. <laughs> uh, this is actually the last show we'll probably be talking about studio. Now, Saturday, and we're actually recording this before Saturday, but Saturday we're going to draw the winner for the headphones. So uh, if you're if you're hearing this, you probably already know whether you won or not because we, we have people signing up on Facebook. There's over 300 people signed up, and uh, we'll do a random number pick, and then whoever it is will notify through Facebook. So thank you for participating. It's been fun to have that many people mm-hmm. showing interest. Okay, let's have, start having some fun, and let's talk about the show. We have some awesome stories. I think we got enough for to please everybody this time because we are going to talk about one of the most haunted places in the world, the Black Monk House. Sounds terrible. <laughs> I mean, not terrible that way. I mean, terrible like it really sounds haunted and scary. That's what I meant to say. Well, I'm glad you can get so much off of the name of something. Oh, just think about it. <laughs> but the Black Monk House is actually known as England's Amityville Horror. So there you go. I was right. <laughs> that'll get into that. Uh, we're also going to do some music tonight. You guys always say you like the the rock and roll and the occult stuff, and I'm not going to necessarily say this is rock and roll and the occult, but it is some really cool ass music story. And what we're going to talk about tonight, you heard the Don McLean um, American Pie at the mm-hmm. beginning, and that song was written about the death of uh, Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens in a plane crash, and that's what we're actually going to talk about tonight: the Buddy Holly curse. And trust me, if you do not have a clue who Buddy Holly are, and I know a lot of you younger ones out there won't. Buddy Holly is. Yeah. If you don't have a clue who he is, it won't make a butt bit of difference. <laughs> a butt of, it won't make a butt of difference either. Oh. But it won't make a bit of difference because the story, uh, you won't have to know who anybody is for it to be fun. And yeah, it's still so interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
So I guess the question is, who do we want to talk about first? Do we want to talk about the Black Monk House, or do we want to end it with some music? I also got some cool John Lennon stories to let's tell. Let's do that old Black Monk thing. All right. Well, we'll start with that then. Yeah, let's do that first. Hey, we'll get Tracy to contributed stuff. to the show. Hey, yay. <laughs> See? All right. The Black Monk House. All right. The Black Monk House is located on 30 East Drive, Pontefract, England. And I'm sure I'm probably mispronouncing that. And that's actually in uh, West York's. Or West Yorkshire. One of the two. You'll know if you live in England. Yeah. I don't know. It's known as, like I said, as England's Amityville Horror. And according to many, it was the most violent poltergeist account in all of Europe. Wow. That's pretty strong. Yeah. Started in 1966, as far as any kind of documentation went. Uh, I'm sure some stuff probably went on before then, but this is where everything kind of really, the shit hit the fan. And it starts when the Pritchard family moved in. Now, the Pritchard family consists of Joe and Jean. They had their children, Diane, who was 12, Philip, who was 15, and Jean's mom, Sarah. All right, so the first major occurrence was at the end of August. Everyone went on vacation except for Philip and his grandma, Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. So the weather was extremely warm, as you would expect in August, but Sarah would feel these gusts of, of um, winds that would come at her that were, like, super cold. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing, because they didn't have any air conditioning. No. And Philip left for a little bit, went out and did some stuff. When he got home, they both noticed that this chalky, powdery-type stuff was, like, falling from the ceiling. It was, like, falling to the ground from the ceiling. Oh. Right. So Sarah left to go get her daughter, Marie Kelly, who lived across the street, because she wanted her to kind of see what was going on and see if she could make any sense out of it. When she walked in, she saw not only the powder fallen but she noticed that there was a pool of water that had formed in the kitchen now a neighbor noticed that there was a commotion going on outside and she had knew that there was some recent happenings in the house so she decided to just come on in or he decided i think it was a he he decided to just come on in and walk through the house he turned off the main water main because he just assumed there was a leak somewhere yeah he did that, and then he called the water company and informed them that he thought there was a leak, so they'd come out. Well, the water company came out. They examined the pools of water. Uh, they couldn't find where there were any leaks anywhere, and then the pools just kind of stopped appearing like hours after they started. Wow, weird. Yep, and then later that night around 7 o'clock, Sarah and her she heard her grandson yelling from the kitchen. He's like, it's happening again. She goes in, and on the counter, there was a mess, complete mess. It was made up of, of sugar and tea leaves and a bunch of other stuff that had just been spilled over. Now, both of them witnessed this, and then at the same time, they both witnessed the tea dispenser. Something, the button on it was pushing in and pushing out, pushing in and pushing out. So it was spraying tea everywhere. By itself? Yes. Ew. <laughs> That's funny. Obviously, there was a concern because <laughs> they don't know what's going on. Well, that's so crazy. Sarah, Sarah screams, stop it. Stop it, you dang tea maker. <laughs> and at the time, she hears a real loud bang came from behind her. So she opens the door where she thought the bang was coming from, but there was nothing there. Then the hallway light came on by itself. Then a cupboard began to shake and it started causing all the cookware and stuff inside to rattle. So Sarah and Philip decided they were going to leave the house. Sarah went over, got her daughter again, 
And she came over and she witnessed all the, the cookware and stuff rattling inside the cupboard. Hmm. Now it's right around 930. So this has been going on for two and a half hours, roughly. Everything had kind of stopped. And her daughter decided that she was going to leave them so they could get some sleep. Well, unfortunately, when Sarah went in to tell Philip goodnight, a chest that they had, a chest of drawers, or Chester drawers, as we discussed, <laughs> mm-hmm. it started violently shaking and rocking back and forth. By the time the rest of the family got back from their little vacation, everything had stopped. So there was actually no kind of strange occurrences or anything happening at the time. Maybe somebody was just wanting to cook in the kitchen. Dang. <laughs> now, at first, most of this poltergeist activity, we'll say, was just kind of annoying and sometimes gross. And what I mean by that, there was, there was a strange green foam that would sometimes come out of the bathroom faucets. Oh, gross. Uh, that pot- is gross. Yeah, potted plants would get pulled up from the roots and tossed down the steps. Oh, that's just rude. Yeah. There would be pictures that became slashed, like inside the <gasps> picture frame. They would just like get slashed in half. But the glass wasn't broke? No. I like how that's the one question you had. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, well, wait, wait, wait. There was a picture of Slash put over top of all their pictures? No. <laughs> that would have been cool. That, well, that would have been cool. Got wedding picture and Slash standing there with his hat well, I mean, and a cigarette come on now. That, That's the major skills to Slash that picture without breaking the glass. Right. And the, the oddest thing that probably happened, there was a pair of women's gloves that floated around the house and it would interact with people. It was almost like there was a, like it was an invisible body that had the hands on. So the hands was just going around the house, going up to people's faces. Oh, and stuff she sounded like, like a cool chick, though. Yeah, well, you don't know it was a chick. Could have been a transvestite ghost. Oh, now it could cost her some more listeners. Stop saying bad we, things. We love transvestites. We're just kidding. Is that even a term anymore? No, leave them people transgender to do their thing. Oh, okay. Let them anyway, do their thing. The, the family named the poltergeist Fred. As, you know, would make sense. Um, the local press called it Mr. Nobody, starting in 1968. So now we're, we're a couple of years into this thing by now. Because remember, this started in 66. Yeah. And yes, they had electricity back then. Oh, stop. I was born in 63. I know there was electric, <laughs> but we didn't have no indoor bathroom. So Nice. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to. Nothing. Sometimes the activity in the house would be sporadic. And it would, like, disappear for months at a time. This wasn't Ooh. something that was just, like, I mean, sometimes it would just disappear for Is months at a time. Is this just, like, not a ghost don't know how, to, how it works or what? I don't know. Unfortunately, the family spent the last years kind of battling the entity because it turned into something a little more demonic, which is, I find odd that why wouldn't it be demonic from the beginning? Well, that's what I'm saying. Just because she's floating around with gloves and stuff while they try to, she starts slapping them upside the head with her glove. I don't know. Maybe it, was, what, maybe it was like a set of doctor's gloves and she was doing prostate exams and stuff unwarranted. Ooh. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you're just like standing up and all of a sudden you feel something go up in there and it was a ghost? Well, I am asking you a question. During the years, the activity became way more pronounced. <laughs> objects would Objects would lift themselves into the air. And uh, you would have these thunderously loud crashes that coming from the under the floorboards. There was a, a pretty famous incident in the house where upside down crosses kind of manifested on the walls. 
So it's just like they just kind of appeared, yeah. like drawings. Well, I don't know why that question was stupid and you avoided drawings it. Drawings would appear on a wall of upside-down crosses. Why did you ignore that question? The Pritchards contacted the you Catholic don't. Church. <laughs> they sent a priest in to cleanse the house. Well, nothing helped. In fact, it only kind of made it worse. Has so, it happened to you and you just don't want to talk about it? Joe and Jean were the first to come <laughs> to face. <laughs> Listen, Stop. We're trying to talk about something serious here. Okay. Fred. So Joe and Jean were the first to come to face to face with this entity. And he kind of appeared to them as a terrifying figure wearing a robe. And he was kind of floating over top of their bed. I could see how that would be concerning. Yeah, I wouldn't like it much. So it appeared that he was dressed in monk's clothes. Oh, the black monk was soon seen by the entire family, as well as some paranormal investigators. So how cool is that? Oh, that's it. It's very cool. It would slap faces, shove family members. I told you. I already told you. <laughs> that was different. That was just gloves. The gloves didn't smack nobody. Oh. Gloves don't have a mind of their own. If they're on the entity's hands. Entities don't have hands. Oh. <laughs> One night... Diane, the little kid, the 12-year-old daughter, she was reportedly dragged up the stairs and choked. It left visible bruises and marks. You got anything to say about that? Maybe, maybe she was she anal pro. No, maybe or, she was being a brat. Maybe she deserved it. No, I'm just kidding. That's really, that's very, very you scary. You wonder where wait, these reviews listen. come from. I know, but listen to me. <laughs> so everybody seen, did everybody see the little girl dragged up the stairs? If you would pay attention to the story other than trying to make me answer uncomfortable questions. <laughs> You would already know. No. She just told the story, and she had bruises and stuff, and that was proof enough. So, anyways, this Maybe guy her named, daddy beat her. This guy named Tom Cuniff decided that he was going to do some research on the property, and he found out some cool stuff in the history, especially about the black monk. What he found out was kind of incredible for real. He, he found out that the civil wars from... That area, not the Civil War, because this is in England, mm-hmm. where you ask. Civil Wars were fought in uh, Pontefract, and King Richard II had been murdered at Pontefract Castle in 1400, oh, which is right there in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pritchard House was located right across the street from where the actual town's gallows once stood. So now you had all the people that were hung there. Between 10,090 and 1539, there was a monastery that was actually right there in the immediate area where the house was. Oh, wow. So now things are starting to kind of come together. God, my that is so long. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize my zipper was undone. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. So. <laughs> I cannot deal they, with you. As they, as they do in the, in the commercials. But wait, there's more. He also discovered that there was a Cluniac monk who had actually been put to death in those same gallows. What is a Cluniac monk? I have no idea. You don't know? Nope. And he he was put to death because the charges he had against him was the raping and murder of a young girl who was almost the same age as young Diane. Well, that guy sucks, and he needed to be put to death. Right. Could it be that the entity that's haunting the Pritchards is this monk? From this point on, 
that's when the uh, house became known as the Black Monk House. It oh. all had to do with his, his studies. So after years of torment, the, the Pritchards finally moved out, but that was just before 2012. If you remember, they moved in in 1966. Dang. But it got passed on from like... Like for family? Right, right. So Philip, who was the 15-year-old, he actually was the one who sold it. Okay. Back in 2012. So I wonder why they stayed in it all that all that time. I don't know. In 2012, there was a movie called When the Lights Go Out, which I actually watched last week. It's a pretty good movie. It's a British movie. Uh, you're not going to find it on Netflix, but if you got one of those illegal streaming boxes, look it up. It's called When the Lights Go Out. It's actually pretty good. It was based on this. Some of it is similar, but it's not 100% based mm-hmm. on this. Family members are different and stuff like that. But what was funny about this whole thing is that Philip Richards, Pritchard sold the house to the producer of that movie. And uh, the director was Gene Pritchard, you know, his mom. It was her actual nephew. So it was his cousin. So they actually kind of knew about mm-hmm. the house and everything. And so they, they ended up buying the house, plus they made this movie, which I don't think the movie was actually shot at the house. Now, one of the neighbors, Carol Fieldhouse, said that she happened to see Philip doing some yard work. So she went up to him and said, hey, um, I know you sold it, but she assumed that he sold it to his nephew, who was deaf, because she said she had been hearing the TV blasting all night long. And he told her that it was empty. Oh. And and then she said he kind of turned pale and said, oh, God, it's happening again. Oh, gosh. No, oh, God. You almost had it. He said, oh, God, it's happening again. Well, that's creepy. <laughs> so this house has actually been part of several investigations over the last five, six years. Uh, none has probably been more high, high profile than last year's Halloween episode of Paranormal Lockdown on TLC. They actually went in and spent 100 hours in there, and it was actually pretty cool because the, if you've never seen that show, they actually go in and they go separately. It's it's the, the, um, the female male paranormal investigators but mm-hmm. they don't go in and do like the other shows they go in and one of them must stay like downstairs and one of them must stay upstairs oh my gosh i could never so they do that so they you know and that's what's cool about it. but they they were actually in there 100 hours and in most of these shows they're only there for 24 like to 48 night. hours yeah. yeah so it was pretty cool that they did that but they did that as their halloween special last year if you hadn't had a chance to see that go look it up on youtube or something mm-hmm. and uh, i'm sure you can find it brave um the the most the probably the biggest story that's came out of there in the last Oh, I think it was October this past year, so it's really hadn't been a year yet. There's a uh, young lady by the name of uh, Claire Cowell, and she's from the East Drive Paranormal Group, fittingly enough. Mm-hmm. And she actually got a picture of what looks like a monk's arm clutching rosary beads. Oh. And you can actually look that up, and we'll, we'll grab it and throw it on the Facebook That's page. Say, yeah, let's do but that. But yeah, it's like, it, it looks really cool, because at first you really can't, but when you when you hear what it is... And you can see it. Yeah, you can kind of see it. So I thought it was pretty cool. So I'll post that picture so you all can see it. Good. So that's the story on the Black Monk House. Yeah. And that's been heavily requested. So Good. That's I can't believe that they kept that house all those years after all that they went through. Nope. And I, I told you guys that we were going to start doing some special things, and we're going to do those tonight because I left them out last week because the show was already close to three hours long. So we didn't do the joke of the week, and we didn't do the twisted thought of the week. Uh, but we will be doing those later. What I do want to do is bring on a special guest. There's a show out there, a, a couple of shows that I've been listening to lately, but one of them is The Medium Matters. Mm-hmm. 
And Chantel and Marie do a fantastic job on that show. And um, it's another one of those podcasts that right before they started, they kind of reached out to us for some advice. And then when the first show was up, they called us and said, um, you know, hey, can you listen to it and give us some feedback? Well, now they got nine episodes out. They've started to hit their stride. And I thought it would be fun to bring them on the show and, and talk a little bit about their show. And these young ladies are super fun to talk to. So I think you're really going to enjoy them. All right. We are joined by a fairly new podcast. I say fairly new. They've got nine episodes up, uh, but it's really gotten a lot better from start to finish. Like most new podcasts, they've got their, their ground now. And I wanted to bring them on the show to introduce them and kind of let you guys know that I really like this show. And I think that uh, if you listen to it, you're going to like it too. It's a little different than most of the shows we have on, but that's what I like about it. It is different. There are so many shows that touch on the paranormal and stuff like that. This is a little different in the fact that the show is called The Medium Matters. We have Chantel and Marie on the phone, and I wanted you ladies to come on here and talk about your show and talk about what makes it different from the other shows that are out there. And I think what makes it different from my viewpoint is the fact that it's taken from a medium standpoint, which I don't know of any other shows out there really like that. Oh, my God, yes. And can I just say, this is Chantel for all the listeners, but... <laughs> Can I just say, I'm so excited and fangirling to be on Billy Horror Stories with my bestie, Marie. Oh, my God. You guys don't know. She nearly tackled me this morning (laughs) because she was so excited. And all day, she's been like this little girl at Christmas and just couldn't wait to open up a present. It's Billy Horror Stories, everybody. Come on. That's awesome. Love it. Love it. Yeah, we really appreciate you, Jerry. Oh, it's no problem at all. You you girls have a, I say girls like you're, you know, 13 <laughs> or something. I'll take it. I'll you, take it. <laughs> you ladies have a, a really good show and it's really insightful. And I've learned a lot from listening to your show on things that, to be honest with you, I didn't even know existed. Um, for example, touch on Reiki for me. Oh, man. Well, no pun intended. We'll touch on it. Um <laughs> <laughs> So Marie and I have been doing Reiki for a couple of years, and she actually shanghaied me into doing it because I was so, so afraid of anything that had to do with spirit or, I mean, you name it. I had a very healthy fear, and I'm sure you're familiar, Jerry, from listening to the episodes, but Reiki really is uh, energy healing, and you can do it hands-on with a client in person. And it's about clearing and rebalancing the chakras. And so that's what Marie and I do. And we do it with crystals. We do it, um, you know, and, and, and let me just clear this up for anybody that's not familiar with Reiki. There's nothing, literally nothing special about us as practitioners outside of we're just ridiculously gorgeous. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we're just a conduit. So the energy flows through us and is transferred over to the patient and that energy flows where it needs to flow. So we have no control over that. We are guided by our spirit guides and by that client spirit guide. And that's how we know where to go. Well, let me ask you this, because you, you just roughly mentioned your fear. That comes from a, we're going to say, a Ouija board uh, experiment <laughs> gone wrong. Can you talk oh, a little God. bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So like a lot of stupid kids, I was like 15-ish and uh, a friend and I thought it 
brilliant to play with a Ouija board. And we did and unlocked a whole mess of stuff that it was just pretty nasty what, what ended up coming out of that. And there was a lot of paranormal activity in our home at that time. And for fear that my mom would know what was going on, I kept this Ouija board in like a gift box under my bed. And unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of my possessions ended up sitting right on top of the Ouija board, like stuff would disappear. And I'm like, where the hell did my necklace go or, you know, whatever it is. And it would be sitting on that box under my bed. But I mean, you know, it, it was just a really creepy time and it left such a healthy fear in me. And I don't have that fear so much anymore. Now I have a, a I mean, I have a lot of respect for the paranormal. Oh, she's the boss now. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for sure. And I don't dabble in anything. If there's something I want to learn about, then I take the time to research and to truly learn it with, uh, with somebody that is incredibly knowledgeable. So I'm very responsible about it now. And I will never, ever touch a Ouija board in my life again, like this life or any other life. But yeah, it, it was super scary. I mean, I used to, I used to get touched all the time. I would have bruises on my body and I mean just it was really negative the the environment was always really heavy and just thick with negativity and it, it was just it was super creepy I don't even know like, like I think I might um you know be really good friends with the parents because it was, it was so scary <laughs> well you know I, I've I've talked about it briefly before but I've had a very horrific experience with a Ouija board and yeah I don't uh, I'm not a big fan of them I know people who use them I know people that swear by them that oh there's nothing wrong with it if you do this if you do that I'm, no my I, I, ass. Yeah, there's I everything wrong with them <laughs> I don't have any desire to come anywhere close to it and like I said I Tracy doesn't even know my story it's just not something I talk about so yeah but it's yeah not something I want to deal with if I walk into a place and they're using a Ouija board I'll walk right back out Oh, I'm right there with you. I avoid that that aisle in the store every time. I don't even walk past it. I'm like, nope, Parker Brothers or whoever the hell put that thing together. Hell no. <laughs> like, I just, there's no way in hell. However, I'll say because of that, I am where I am now. And now, like I said, I, I feel like I have a healthy respect for spirit and paranormal activity and all of those things. And I'm not afraid anymore. Now I can say, you know, knock it off, stop touching me or, you know, cause I still, spirit still likes to touch me all the time. And it's like when I'm dead asleep or I'm trying to fall asleep and I don't know what it is. They just, I must have a sign on me somewhere that's like, touch this girl. <laughs> so it's, you know, appreciate your spirit. But, um, so yeah, now I have a lot more control and I can, I have set a lot of very healthy boundaries for myself. And if I don't feel like being open at that time to communicate, then I don't. And I just shut it down. So it really helped me because otherwise I don't know that I would have opened up to my abilities the way I have. So when yeah, did you actually open up to your abilities to where you knew that, that you were a medium? Um, I'd say it's been in the last couple of years, probably like two, a little over two years ago when I finally, you know, when Marie talked me into doing the Reiki class. And it was like a flood of energy. Like, I, I mean, I, I've described it before, but that doesn't even do it justice. Um, when you do a Reiki class in each level, they have what's called an attunement. And that's done by the teacher. And 
it puts you in a position where where your abilities are open to more you are more open to receive that universal energy if you will and so when she was doing my attunement in my level one class it was like I was bombarded by so much energy and I remember sitting there while she was doing you know performing that ceremony on me and I was wincing because there were so many people coming at me all at once but it was really like a oh hey welcome home it's about freaking time (laughs) like what took you so long yeah that's really what it was like so once I did I started to realize that all these things that I had dealt with in my life over the years, that's what it was. And when I would shy away from, oh, there's someone standing over there and no one else can see it, I would always shrug it off as, oh, that's my imagination or, you know, things of that nature, which I think a lot of us do. But now I I own it and I accept it. And, you know, I think just like we have messages in the physical world, you know, spirit in whatever dimension or plane they're in, they they have things to say too. So I feel super blessed that I can deliver those messages of love and light to people that are in the physical world. It just, it makes me feel good because I've, you know, I like a lot of people have suffered loss. And when I was able to communicate with my loved ones on the other side, it was the greatest gift ever. So if I can give that to someone, it just, it makes my world. It really does. So let me ask you this for for everybody listening. Is this something that, that like somebody comes to you and get gets a reading, or is this something that just kind of hits you without somebody even knowing? I know, you know, people watch Long Island Medium, and she'll just be out somewhere and just all of a sudden, hey, I've got this story to start to right. a random stranger. <laughs> I mean, how does it happen for you? Is it typically a designed setup and, and be able to just read somebody, or do these things come when you're just not expecting them? It's actually both ways. So there are times when I have to purposely tune in so that I can communicate with someone's uh, loved ones on the other side or angels or guides, uh, whatever it may be. And there are other times, and actually it happens more often like this, what I'm about to say, is that I can think of someone and someone will come through for them. Um, I can... I mean, sometimes it happens like when I'm going to go to an event and suddenly someone is coming through and I'm like, okay, obviously I'm going to meet somebody tonight that you belong to. So I have to deliver a message. And then it's up to me to try to figure out who it is and really, you know, get my nerve up and go talk to this person and be like, oh, hey, by the way, you don't know me, but your grandma says hi. (laughs) So so it really happens both ways. Uh, More times than not, it is not planned. It's not something that I tune into. But if someone, you know, comes to me and says, hey, could you do a reading for me? Or, you know, someone's been waking me up in the middle of the night. Can you help me figure out who it is? Then, you know, I'll tune in on purpose. But a lot of times they really just come in because they feel like they can. (laughs) So let me ask you this, because I go back to the story that I told on uh, Jim Harold's campfire uh, about my mom actually having a couple of bikers just randomly show up and start having a conversation about my mom who didn't know me. And then they just left. Yes. I heard that story. That was really cool. So that sounds amazing. Like amazingly, like you just said, but these people, I think they weren't, it's almost like they were drawn to me without knowing they were going to go there. Have you ever had a situation where you didn't have an event planned, but you had something where you felt like I need to go to this place, even though I don't know why. And it's for that reason. 
I haven't yet, but I will tell you that things change rapidly for me. So just when I think I've got a handle on what my abilities are and what I can do with them, they immediately change and it becomes bigger and stronger than what it was like the week prior. And so it's really been like such a roller coaster ride, you know, going through Reiki and really opening up to everything because I, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what I'll be able to do in like a month or a year from now because it's constantly evolving in such an amazing way. Yeah. A work in progress. So Marie, I got a question for you. How do you feel about being on the show? Was it a surprise when uh, you were asked to be on the show? No, nothing Chantel does surprises me. <laughs> you know, and, it, and, it was, and, and all it was was, uh, hey, I got an idea. You want you know, Let's go do this. And okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of friend Marie is. Like, she doesn't ask questions. She just jumps in. Yeah, she comes in. I've got a favor. Okay, what is it? Let's go. So do you have any special, um, other than the Reiki situation, do you have any type of uh, abilities such as uh, Chantel's got? Or is it just, you know, that's the good yin and the yang of both of you? I think that's the yin, yin and the yang. I mean, my my abilities, I'm still exploring. Um, I I have, like, a knowing of things. Um, it, you know, dreams, you know, come true and, and things like that. Um, that used to happen to me a lot when I was younger. Um, but I'm, I'm noticing sometimes now that it, it start, it's starting to come back again. So I'm um, exploring that, meditating on it, and uh, trying to find my way. Well, good. That sounds, like, uh, that sounds like you're on the path anyway. Exactly. Like I said, it, it's a work in progress. And it, and it all started with the Reiki. Right. I think it was just the it was just the uh, conduit, if you will, to allow us to open up to all those things, because everybody has it. We're not different from anybody else um, by any means. They're just muscles that we exercise. And, you know, like I, I definitely don't expect I haven't worked out in like a year, but <laughs> so I don't expect to go into the gym and deadlift, you know, 200 some odd pounds like I could a year ago. But a year ago, I used to do it every day. So, you know, it's kind of the same situation. It's what you put into it, just like anything else. So right. Does Reiki fix erectile dysfunction? Because if so, <laughs> is it cheaper than Viagra? That's all I want to know. Um, let me tell you, I think what fixes that is a little hands-on action. <laughs> well, yeah, we're not I- testing that part. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave, we'll uh, we'll give uh, Tracy some pointers and maybe she can help with that. <laughs> there you go. Or That'll work. You're just, you're just asking for a friend, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. So you you ladies got to do some investigating of uh, a special place the other night, and oh my gosh, uh, yes. you ran into um, some people that I deeply <laughs> respect. Uh, obviously, you do too. Tell us a little bit about how that night went. Oh, my God. I'm going to fangirl all over again because (laughs) so I'm a huge fan of that show, uh, Ghost Brothers. And I told Marie when I started the podcast that I have this idea. I saw that um, here locally in Pensacola, they were going to have a Comic-Con and they were going to have a celebrity guest, Ghost Brothers, who were going to participate in a ghost hunt. And I told her that I really wanted to do the ghost hunt. But more than that, I wanted to apply for a press pass so that I could interview the guys because 
I mean, holy crap, what an amazing opportunity. So that didn't work out, but we did get to go do the ghost hunt and it was so much fun. It was really amazing to be there. And I mean, they were seriously the nicest guys ever. Nothing pretentious about them. They were not divas. They were there like they had nothing else to do in the world. And they would just, you know, spend eternity there with us. Yeah, they were exact. What you see is what you get. They were so nice. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, we it wasn't quite what we expected. And I think, you know, part of that might be that I watch a little much too a little too much TV. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm going in there, you know, to sit in a room by myself. But I mean, realistically, I knew that wasn't going to happen. But it did, however, pique our interest where we're going to work with uh, local societies so that we can start doing some investigations because I'm a huge, you know, like I said, I have a lot of healthy respect for paranormal, um, but I also have a lot of curiosity. There's things that haven't been answered for me through meditation or through my conversations with spirit. So, you know, there, there's just a lot of exploration that I want to do. And I, you know, it's just, it's super fascinating to me, just like, you know, so many listeners. Yeah. You know, the, it's, you talking about the ghost brothers that's actually one of the few um i guess you could say ghost hunting type shows that i watch anymore i used right. to, i used to really get into ghost hunters when it first came out and then i'd watch a little bit of uh what was a paranormal state and but i, I just kind of oh god i used to love that show you know, I, I lost interest just because of the fact they all started becoming a little too um i don't know set up it looked like and then, right yeah i would agree with that and, you know, I know they came down, um, Ghost Hunters actually came down for the Halloween episode at Waverly. And I heard tell through a lot of the um, uh, Louisville Ghost Hunters Society that there was a lot of stuff set up during that show. And I kind of lost interest after that to just, you know, well, I can't really believe anything that's on there. But I have found a recent, um, I guess, interest in some of the newer shows. I like Kindred Spirits. I like uh, Paranormal Lockdown. And I like Ghost Brothers, and, and it's like you said, they just seem real on that show, which is my reason for liking them. Oh, yeah, and they definitely are. I, I'm fans of those shows that you mentioned, too, Kindred Spirits and Paranormal Lockdown. And, um, you know, and I remember Katrina from Paranormal State. And, yeah. I mean, all really good shows. And I feel like you, um, you know, after a certain point, it does start to feel a little bit staged. But, uh, yeah, these guys, I mean, I'd be so, so devastated to find out that <laughs> their show was not legit. But I, That's I mean, not a thing. I know. <laughs> I know. No, they're the best. They're the very best. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan. So I have roped my buddy Marie into going and doing some investigations with me. And so hopefully we get to play with a lot of fun toys out there. We did meet the REM pod. Jerry, I'm sure you heard that in the episode. Mm-hmm. The fourth, the fourth ghost brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I was like, oh, my God, the REM pod. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta admit, I got a little excited when I saw the REM pod also. I know. Well, they, it, it lights up and it's shiny and <laughs> I mean, what's not to love? <laughs> Tracy and I are going to be at uh, Scarefest in Lexington at the end of September and they're actually, two of the three are going to be there as well, so I'm hoping to get an opportunity to talk with them. Oh, heck yeah, I hope you do too. I, I think I've seen some stuff for Scarefest and it it also piqued my interest. I'm like, oh my god. So I'm just at the point where I'm like, I want to be everywhere and touch everything and talk to everybody and so i need to just chill like yeah, it's, <laughs> i need to it's, slow it, my roll 
it's we so, just need to win the lottery. I know. <laughs> it's it's so hard to because there are so many of those things going on. I mean, earlier in September, um, was that that came out Day of the Dead or whatever that is. That's they're going to be in Louisville, so it's right up the road from us. And Linda wow. Blair is going to be there, and then a couple other people. But that was the one big one there. And then uh, Freddie uh, Freddy Krueger, Robert England is going to be at Scarefest, where we're going to be at. Oh God, I'm so, so jealous. But yeah, I would love to be able to do both of them, but we can only do the one just because schedules yeah. and you know it makes it tough. But maybe one day we'll be full time podcasters, and that's all we'll do. Yeah, man, I'm I'm all about it. You just wait till we win that that uh, mega money from the lottery. I'll take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> We'll ladies, travel around with the Ghost Brothers. <laughs> ladies, it's been fun having you on the show. Tell everybody how they can find your show. Well, so many different ways. You know, there's the obvious sky right, carry pigeon, smoke signal. <laughs> but the show is hosted by Blog Talk Radio, and you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash the media matters. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And, you know, we appreciate every single follow on Twitter and Facebook, and you can find me there at Media Matters, and you can also email me at the medium at themediamatters.com. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. You have a great show. I, I can't wait for some of our listeners to actually experience it. Do me a favor. If you listen to the show, send them a message, and more importantly, help them out. Get on iTunes, leave a review for the show, because that's going to help them get seen. Uh, we preach about it all the time on here, but it's really especially helpful for a brand new show. Uh, so jump on there, but but let them know um, on Facebook, let them know on Twitter that you listened to the show and you liked it. So if you just want to send me a tweet and, and tag uh, Medium Matters uh, in it so they can see it, I'm sure these young ladies would be very happy to know how many people are listening to their show. Oh, heck yeah. Thank you so much. We would really, really appreciate that. It's, it's such an honor. Yes. Thank you so much. It's no problem. We'll talk to you ladies in the future. Thank you, Jerry. Have a great night. You too. Bye, Jerry. No, no, no. Not you. Not now. No. I don't have time for this. Oh, why not, Mr. Smith? Are you afraid somebody's going to find the body? Or perhaps you have a roast in the oven? What's the hurry? <laughs> no, 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 nothing like that. It's it's just that... Then tell me, why were you running from us? Running from you? No, no, I wasn't running from you. It was more like I was running to something. I don't have time for games, Mr. Smith. What will you run into? I want to know now. Yeah, sure. No big deal, man. I was just rushing home to go listen to the hillbilly horror stories. See, man? That, that's it. I, I can't miss it. I've been waiting an entire year for this moment. More lies and games, Mr. Smith. I told you I don't have time for this. Kill him. In the meantime... I'm going to go check out this hillbilly horror stories. No, wait, 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 no, I'm not lying. Now, see, aren't they fun? They got a really fun podcast. I think you guys will get a big kick out of them. So remember, that's the Media Matters. Uh, look them up, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Absolutely. Give them a shout-out, too. Yeah, give them a shout-out. Let them, yeah, let them know, like I said, on uh, 
on the on the there. Just let them know on Twitter and everything you heard them. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Um, I'm going to break into this story. This is the Buddy Holly curse, and I've been wanting to do this one for a long time, and I'm going to kind of give you some insight on a guest that I absolutely love. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know a lot of these guests on other shows. I'll hear something. I'll be like, hey, I like the guy that talks about this, or I'll like the the uh, young lady who talks about that. But to be honest with you, I don't know their names, and uh, I wouldn't have a clue who any of them are. With exception, there is one guest that I have heard, I don't know how many times he's been on Jim Harold. he's been on, um, I can't even name all the places he's been on, he's been on so many, but he is a music aficionado, we've talked about him on this show, a gentleman by the name of R. Gary Patterson. If you went back and listened to the very first Rock and Roll in the Occult show, we talked about uh, Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads, and we told a story about R. Gary, about how they had dug up some um, some of the dirt at the cemetery, and then they had a bunch of bad luck and stuff go on from there. Uh, this guy was somebody that I really looked up to as far as rock and roll stuff. Most of the stories that I talk about on here, I heard from him first. He's the gentleman that came up with the term the 27 Club for all the uh, musicians that died at 27. That was him. He coined that. Why am I telling you this? Because I wanted to get him on the show this week. And when I went to try to reach out to him, I found out that unfortunately Gary had passed away in May. Yeah, it's so sad. I was very disappointed to say the least because he was the one person when it comes to rock and roll and, and curses and stuff like that that I really looked up to. So what we're going to do tonight is a little special tribute in our own way to our Gary Patterson. We're going to tell you the Buddy Holly story, but I'm also going to play some snippets um, instead of doing it myself from actual Gary. So Gary's going to kind of help me tell the story, if that's okay with everybody. So Sounds good. I told you in the beginning that you won't have to know who any of these artists are, and you'll see what I'm saying as we get into it. So... Most of you younger people, I'm assuming, will not know who Buddy Holly is, but I bet you know the song American Pie that was on earlier. And that's what that song was about. If you notice in the lyrics, it says the day the music died. And it says, you know, talks about February and all that. And that's because this plane crash that killed the, the three young men actually was February 23rd, 1959. And that's where most of the lyrics from the song come from in the beginning. Anything after that is pretty much gibberish uh, in the song. And Don McLean, who wrote it, actually will tell you that it was made to not make sense. Mm -hmm. It wasn't designed to make sense, except for that very beginning. Here's the story we got. So Buddy Holly, um, big hits like Peggy Sue, Ray Vaughn, That'll Be the Day, dies in a plane crash February 3rd, 1959. Right outside of Clear Lake, Iowa. They had just got through doing a show there, and we'll talk a little more about those shows in a second. He was killed along with an, an artist by the name of J.P. Richardson, which was more commonly known back then as, as the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens, and a pilot by the name of Roger Peterson. Buddy was only 22 years old. Uh, Big Bopper was 27 at the time, and uh, Richie Valens was 17. Wow. Now, at this time, every one of these guys, though the Big Bopper had really one hit out at the time, which was Chantilly Lace, but Buddy Holly, think about this. Buddy Holly was 22 years old, and he had something like eight or nine number one hits mm -hmm. or somewhere. I'm probably off on it being number one, but he had eight or nine huge hits. He was 22 years old. Think about that. Yeah. Richie Valens had a couple of big hits, which most of you will know one of them, La Bamba. 
He was the one that made that song famous, and then he had a song called uh, Old Donna. They were both hits. He was 17. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we've got the Justin Bieber's and stuff like yeah. that of the world, but it's, it, it was very uncommon back then for somebody, yeah, for somebody of that so age young. Mm-hmm. to have that. Like I said, you don't, you don't have to know who any of these people are, but I guarantee this story is going to send chills down your spine. So what happened was Buddy Holly on this tour, it was it, back in the early days of rock and roll. They would do these tours that were all bust because rock and roll it was just starting. I mean, it wouldn't like like it is today. Mm-hmm. Country was the big thing back then, and a little bit of of um, swing music and stuff like that was still kind of the big bands. They were mm-hmm. still kind of in there, but rock and roll was just getting started. So what would happen is they would pick these venues. They would get five, six, seven groups together to do you know five or six songs. They would travel around and promote them. And that's what one of these was. It was called the uh, the Winter Dance Party Tour. And they were hitting places like Fargo, North Dakota, and, uh, you know, Cedar Lake, and all these cold-ass places. Mm-hmm. And right before they started this tour, and Buddy didn't want to go on this tour. His wife was pregnant, and he decided that, you know, he was just going to not do anything. And pretty much his management kind of made him do this tour. Wow. And on top of that... Um, Buddy Holly's band was the Crickets and it was a couple of friends of his that he grew up with and he was also due to a management dispute they were not going to be able to go on tour with him Okay, and that's going to come into play a little bit later Mm -hmm. as we get into it so before this thing him and his wife actually had some very prophetic dreams his wife Maria had a dream about a fireball crashing into a field Buddy on the exact same night he had a dream about getting onto a plane and leaving Maria on top of a building. And in the, in a dream, he felt really guilty, but he felt like that he needed her to stay behind. Oh, wow. And when you consider that not too shortly after this thing tour started, you know, this plane crashes into a field. How is that possible for them to have, like, the same dream almost. I don't know, but they sure did. Wow. Here's the, here's some other parts of this. 1958, this is the year before, Buddy was actually in England touring. And uh, he got this message from a guy named Joe Meek. Now, Joe Meek, we're going to talk about even more a little later, but he was a, a, a British engineer, producer, disc jockey. Mm-hmm. But he was starting to get kind of big. For that time, he was kind of big. He came to Buddy because in January... He had attended a uh, tarot reading, and the message he got was on February 3rd, Buddy Holly dies. (gasps) Now, Buddy Holly was like his idol, and he found out Buddy was coming to England, so he did. And now, now by this time, I think it was like August, so Uh this had been, you know, a little later. Yeah, Yeah. it's been Mm -hmm. a few months. He somehow gets to Buddy and says, hey, I just need you to know this. Well, Buddy, obviously, he thanked Meek for, you know, tracking him down and giving him the warning. But he wasn't concerned because it was already past February 3rd. But keep in mind, he died the very following year on February 3rd. Oh, my gosh. The winter, the winter dance party had buses. They didn't have planes. Yeah. Like I said, this wasn't the day of, yeah. you know, even though Buddy was a big star and all this, they were still riding these crappy buses. And the buses would carry, would carry all the um, uh, performers from gig to gig, sometimes very long, four, five, six, seven-hour drives. And they continually broke down. 
the heaters never worked. And I mean, we're talking some of these some of these days and nights when they were traveling, you're talking 25 below zero in some of these places. Oh, gosh. Right. Carl Bunch, who's actually Buddy's drummer uh, at this time, he had to leave the tour because he had frostbite on his feet. <laughs> yeah. So what you got then is because of all this uh, cold and the heater's mm-hmm. not working and the bus is breaking down, the Big Bopper and Richie Valens, who were on the tour, both got really sick. Okay, so they both had like flu type mm-hmm. deal, that type mm-hmm. of sick. The Big Bopper, even though he was killed on the plane, he wasn't supposed to be on the plane. He talked to one of Buddy's bandmates into switching him places because he was sick. And like I said, he was, I said he was 27 earlier. He was actually 28 years old. Do you know who the performer was that he talked into giving his seat up no. and switching places with? Who was it? It was a 19-year-old Waylon Jennings. No way. Yeah. There's um, Buddy. The thing about Buddy Holly, he really liked Waylon Jennings. And Waylon Jennings at the time, nobody had, had picked up. You know, mm-hmm. and he hadn't picked up any steam yet, but he was right there from the area. Yeah. And I told you on this tour that Buddy couldn't take his original bandmates, the Crickets, because of a, a, of a dispute, dispute with management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he picked up two other people, one of which was Waylon Jennings and one of which was Tony, Tommy Oslip. Now, it's funny what about Waylon Jennings. It was two weeks before the tour and Buddy walked in, threw him a bass guitar and said, you know how to play this? And he said, no. And he said, I need you to learn all these songs and you got two weeks. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so Waylon Jennings said that he just basically, he didn't learn how to play it. He yeah, just memorized, he just memorized. What, he, what he needed to do. Oh, wow. I don't, it just seems like an odd yeah. couple for them two. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, But anyway, so that led to an exchange. Um, uh Buddy and, and Waylon, they were really good friends. They joked around a whole lot, uh, and they had one last joke that haunted Waylon for basically the rest of his life. And I'm going to let Waylon tell that to you. Okay. But he was tortured by the parting remark he made to Buddy Holly at the airport. They were getting ready to leave and, and you know t- tell each other goodbye. That uh, Buddy said to Waylon, "Well, I hope your ass freezes on the bus." And here I am, about 19 years old. And I said, "Yeah, well, I hope your old plane crashes." <laughs> And God almighty, for years I thought I caused it, you know. Don't ask me who I gave my seat to on that plane. I think you already know. So how freaky is that, that, you know, Buddy Holly's last exchange with Waylon is, hey, I hope I hope you freeze on the bus, basically. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, I hope your old plane crashes. Oh, my gosh. And that's exactly what happened. That is so terrible. And then knowing that you were supposed to be on, on that plane. That plane and then you heard he had wrote that song, which was on there about, you know, I guess you all know yeah. who he gave a seat up to and all that stuff. Yeah, that's really sad that he has to live with that, too. You just, I tell you what, you got to watch what you say, because sometimes it will come back to haunt you. Right. So now we got Richie Valens. When Buddy rented this, let's go back a second. When Buddy rented this plane, it's because the buses were always busting down, and he just he was like, the "Man, buses were what? They were breaking down." I'm sorry. Thank the you. buses were breaking down, <laughs> and um, his whole thing was they chartered this plane so they could get some rest and, and get to the next stop without having to worry about. Yeah. It. And Buddy had enough money where he could do that, so mm-hmm. that was the whole thing. So he's got supposed to be Waylon, Tommy Oslip. And himself. Well, obviously, Waylon's already given up his seat to the big bopper. And Richie Valens 
actually convinced another member of the band, Tommy Oslip, to flip a coin for the seat. Mm -hmm. And what's funny about that is, like, he had already asked him to do it, and Tommy said, no, no, no. And they get ready to go, and, and Buddy Holly said, hey, Tommy, will you go back and make sure we've got all the equipment, everything we need and all that? So he goes back to make sure they have everything, mm -hmm. and he runs into Richie again. And Richie's like, come on, man, come on, man. You know, I'm really sick, man. I can use the rest. Let me on there. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll flip you for it. Mm -hmm. So they flipped a coin, and uh, Richie Valens called heads, and it landed heads up. Mm -hmm. And Richie Valens made a big deal about it. He was like, that's the first time I've ever won anything in my life. Oh, bless his heart. And obviously, Aww. so Tommy decided to give up his spot, and he gave it up to Richie Valens, who was so excited about winning it. Yeah, and then he, oh my gosh, yep. that's sad. Now, years later, later uh, Tommy also, he actually opened a, a bar, and he called it the Heads Up Saloon. Oh, wow. And it was kind of a, a tribute, tribute to the coin flip that saved his life, because yeah. if he lost that coin flip, he would have He would have been, yeah. Oh, gosh. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I want to let our Gary, actually our first clip of him, tell you some more about the Buddy Holly curse. Okay. Following the death of Buddy Holly, many rock historians are interested in an event we refer to as the Buddy Holly curse because it appears that a number of performers also suffered the same fate, not necessarily in a small plane but in a way in which their lives were cut tragically short as a 22-year-old Buddy Holly. And a lot of these performers had very close relationships with the fallen rock star. For instance, when Buddy Holly perished, Ronnie Smith was hired to take his place to re for the remainder of the Winter Dance Party Tour. After the show was over, at the last performance, Ronnie Smith had checked himself into a hospital but committed suicide by hanging himself. The next member of the Crickets was David Box. David Box was only 17 years old, but it's David Box's incredible voice that gives life to the song Peggy Sue Got Married. Many historians erroneously think that it was Holly's voice on the song and not Box. After a few years playing with the Crickets, David Box was ready to reach a solo career, much like Holly, when he left the Crickets. But Box and two of his friends and band members had chartered a small plane in Texas and were victims of a plane crash themselves. David Box died at the age of 22, exactly like Buddy Holly. Other rock stars faced the same fate. For instance, Keith Moon of The Who. Keith Moon, on September 6th, had gone out with Paul McCartney to watch a theater performance of The Buddy Holly Story. When he returned, he had taken some medication to help him with his drinking problem and overdosed on the medication. He died on September 7th which, coincidentally, was Buddy Holly's birthday. Another strange fact about Keith Moon's death is he died in a Mayfair flat that he had taken from Harry Nilsson. What makes it odd, three to four years before that date, Mama Cass Elliot had died in the same room. So sometimes rock and roll curses follow the room as well as the individual. Also, more recently, Tupac Shakur was shot on September 7th, which happens to be Buddy Holly's birthday. Two other great rock icons had tragic events associated with Holly. Ricky Nelson had performed in Alabama on New Year's Eve, and his closing song was Buddy Holly's Rave On. He had purchased a plane from Jerry Lee Lewis. The story goes that Jerry Lee was convinced he would die in a plane crash, 
So he sold the plane to Ricky Nelson. Well, Ricky Nelson died in the plane crash, purchased from Jerry Lee Lewis. And one of the other performers, Dale Shannon, Dale Shannon, who did the song Runaway, who was blown off the charts by the British invasion, was making a comeback. Perhaps you've heard Tom Petty's song Running Down a Dream, where he says, me and Dale were singing Little Runaway. It seems like Dale was getting back into his career. But he performed with the Crickets on the 30th anniversary of the Buddy Holly crash. As he was performing, he became ill. He tried to leave the stage, and the promoter kept inviting him to go out because the crowd was loving it. Well, he performed. But on February 9th, a few days after the event, he commits suicide, and Del Shannon is dead. In L.A., Phil Spector, who's the subject of an interesting trial now, a terrible event occurred in his home. And if you'll check the date, the accidental death slash murder, whatever it may be determined, occurred on the night of February 3rd, the anniversary of the plane crash, a date that not only claimed one of the great fathers of rock and roll, but an event that's now tied into the fate of rock and roll's greatest producer. Now, you see what I'm saying? Now you've got all, all these other artists that have some kind of connection yeah. to Buddy Holly, whether it be just a birth date or like the mm-hmm. the Keith Moon deal to where he just went and saw the Buddy Holly story with Paul McCartney and then dies that night. And That is some, that's some freaky crap. Now, we're going to continue on because Eddie Cochran actually uh, was Buddy, one of Buddy Holly's best friends. And he uh, he was so devastated mm-hmm. by this, and I thought it would be cool once again to let R. Gary tell the story because he does a good job with it. So here's another clip from R. Gary. Buddy Holly's best friend, Eddie Cochran, knew that he was doomed because he missed the flight. He was supposed to be on the Winter Dance Party Tour himself, but had backed out to do a television performance. So now he felt that death was stalking him. He performed a song that was called Three Stars, and the song was a tribute to the fallen rock stars Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. When he recorded the song, you can tell that Cochran is visibly moved as he talks about his friend Buddy Holly and remembering him with tears in his eyes. Cochran walks into the studio and he says, if you ever release this song, I'll not do another. Tragically, he did do another. The song was called Three Steps to Heaven, and it was almost like a premonition. On Cochran's last tour, he finds himself in England. Sharon Sheely, his fiancée, comes to visit, and he has her rush out and buy as many Buddy Holly singles as she can find. She returns, finds him in a darkened hotel room, and he's performing and listening to the songs, and she tells him, she says, Eddie, you've got to let this go. And Cochran's reply was, no, no because I'm going to be seeing Buddy soon. Stories go that he had actually met with a fortune teller about when he could expect to die. And that night he woke up crying, I'm going to die and there's not anything anyone can do about it. Well, on Easter weekend in 1960, Eddie Cochran was killed in a tragic car accident that also injured Gene Vincent and Sharon Sheely. The last people to visit Eddie Cochran in the hospital in Bath, England, were members of the Crickets, who were on tour with the Everly Brothers. So now, Eddie Cochran had joined his friend in rock and roll heaven. But the story doesn't stop there. Other rock stars met the same fate. Out of Texas, Bobby Fuller, 
sent a tape to Buddy Holly's parents. And that tape, in turn, was sent to Norman Petty, who was the engineer and producer of Buddy Holly's great hits. So, Bobby Fuller, following in the West Texas Sound, worked with Norman Petty in Clovis, New Mexico, but soon found his way to Hollywood. When Bobby Fuller and the Bobby Fuller Four come to Hollywood, they take a sensation in the song called I Thought the Law and the Law Won. Now, that song was written by Sonny Curtis, who was a guitarist in the Crickets. Now, Bobby Fuller, good-looking, very talented, was carrying the mantle of Buddy Holly, and then a strange event occurs. The phone rings at his apartment at 1 o'clock in the morning, and Bobby Fuller had brought his mother to stay with him in Hollywood. He bars her car, tells her he'll be back within an hour or so, but he doesn't come back all night. Later, that next afternoon and into the evening, she hears his car return, but no Bobby. She finally goes out and she finds her son's body stretched across the front seat. He had been badly beaten, doused with gasoline, and when the police looked at the situation, they told Bob Keane, the founder of Delphi Records, who Bobby recorded for, that Bobby Fuller was just another rock and roll suicide. What was odd was that you really can't drink gasoline while you're alive. You regurgitate it. So what became a suicide was more likely murder. The last song that Bobby Fuller recorded was Love's Made a Fool of You, which coincidentally was written by Buddy Holly. Bobby Fuller's death occurred at the age of 22. See, I always found that fascinating with the, the whole Bobby Fuller thing. And I mean, there's even more details we can get into. Delphi Records, there's some stuff we could talk into that. He only had three artists, and one of which was Richie Valens. The other one was uh, Sam Cooke. And then there was another artist who was actually uh, trying to fill in and mm-hmm. do some Buddy Holly stuff. He was going to fill in for the Crickets. He actually, all three of those were his artists, and they all passed away. Dang, God. Uh, so there was that connection yeah. to Buddy Holly there. And that was the end of him, Yeah, and they all had something you know tragic happen to them, mm. all at a very early age. Um, the last thing we're going to talk about, we talked about Joe Meek earlier. I said there was going to be more from him. He's the one that gave Buddy Holly the warning, if you remember. Now, he was a huge Buddy Holly fan, and after Buddy died, he wrote a song that was called A Tribute to Buddy Holly. It was recorded by a group called The Outlaws, and he got the Buddy Holly fan club in England to listen to it, and they approved of it. So he went ahead and released it. But before he released it, he wanted to get one other approval. Um, He kind of wanted to get Buddy Holly's approval. So he decided to have a seance to reach out to Buddy. And supposedly, a message came across that said, see you on on the charts. Oh. So he took that as a chance. Well, let to, go know, ahead. Put so he put it, he put it out. It, it um, did okay on the British charts, but it never did anything in the U.S. Oh, that's a shame. The deeper he got into this occult stuff, the more it kind of changed him. He started thinking that um, there were listening devices planted into his studio. Um, but to be fair, he actually did find some. Because really? he thought people were trying to steal his, his sound, so to speak, his technologies, his sound. And he found he found some. The question is, who put them there? Now, the biggest producer in the U.S. at the time was Phil Spector. Phil Spector worked with Ronnie and the Ronettes, and then he yeah. eventually went on to work with the Beatles. He's the one that actually did uh, uh, the final version of Let It Be and all that. That was Phil Spector. Oh. 
But so anyway, he he actually was uh, one of the ones that was working on it. But Phil had that sound for a long time yeah. before he didn't need to steal anything. But one time, apparently in a conversation Joe Meek was having with Phil Spector, he slammed a phone down on him, accusing him of stealing the sound. So he was starting to go a little bit nutty already. Now, obviously, like I said, Phil Spector already had the sound, and he had a name for himself. He didn't need to steal anything. Yeah. Here's the twist of the story. There was a body found that was dismembered and in two suitcases. It was called the suitcase uh, suitcase murders. And police wanted to talk to Meek because he knew the victim. Really? Oh, they suspected him, you think? Yeah, they suspected him. Oh, so in 1967, he's struggling. The, the British invasion's out. You've got the Beatles. You've got the Stones mm-hmm. and the Kinks and all that. And his sound just kind of went away. Nobody, mm-hmm. He kind of he missed the boat. Mm-hmm. And his landlady had come by to ask him to remove you know, his belongings. She was evicting him. And as she got up to the top of the stairs, he blasted her with a shotgun. And she went falling down the stairs. And as a matter of fact, it was like in her back, it was still smoldering. <gasps> From the hot buckshot. Oh, wow. One of the assistants actually ran up to see... What happened? What happened. And they got there just in time to see him turn the gun on himself and pull the trigger. I mean, all this is stemming from Buddy Holly's death? Well, I mean, I mean, as far as I mean, as far as him being, they're just all connections. Now, yeah, what's the, connection. what's the amazing so thing about this when he shot the landlord and shot himself? February 3rd. <gasps> The day he died. Oh, my gosh. That is so... That is bizarre. So, what... No, well... I guess then they never figured out who the body... Well, I'm sure they probably pinned it on him. I don't know what happened after that, but I'm sure that he was already a nut job, so I'm sure he probably did it. That's sick. So, I've got a couple more quick stories to tell you, but first... I want to do one of our little things because I said we were going to um, we were going to actually do one of these um, every week. So we're going to go with the twisted thought, and this is actually because see this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to throw some other podcasts in. There's a podcast that gave us a shout out the other night, and they're actually a really good podcast. They're fairly new too, but it's called the Ghost Story Guys, mm-hmm. and it's actually two authors from up in Canada, and they're they're really good. So I would advise everybody if you're looking for something new that you haven't heard yet, mm-hmm. go to the Ghost Story Guys. That sounds and, good. Uh, and a twisted thought is brought to you by the podcast, the Ghost Story Guys. Okay. So how about that? Twisted thought. Anyone who lived in Russia, in the Volga, Siberian, or Cuban regions during 1932 and 1933 has probably consumed human corpse. Ooh. So that's the twisted thought of the night. Well, that's mm, disturbing. It's it's very disturbing. (laughs) It's really disturbing. All right. So I thought what we would do right now is I'm going to tell you two John Lennon stories. Okay. I love John Lennon stories. These are about John Lennon reaching out after he's passed away. And, you know, if you know anything about John Lennon as far as the paranormal side, John Lennon swears he saw a UFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he always thought that he could come back in the afterlife. So we're going to tell you two stories about it. So the first story we're going to tell you, and I guess I, I forget that some young people out there still don't have a clue who some of these people are as far as they'll know who John Lennon is, but they probably don't know a lot about his, his life. John was actually shot 
and killed um, by a guy named Mark David Chapman, who was, an I guess, an escapee or recently released from a mental hospital in um, Hawaii. He made his way all the way across the continental U.S. to New York, waited outside the Dakota building where John Lennon was actually uh, living, and he even had him autograph a copy of the newly released Double Mm -hmm. Fantasy album. John Lennon went off to do an interview, came back, and then Mark David... Chapman hollered Mr. Lennon and shot and killed him. That guy sucks. And there's actually a very well-known picture uh, of John Lennon signing his Mm -hmm. copy with Mark David just sitting there with this goofy-looking grin on his face. Um, So it's kind of odd because and that that came about this. There was a photographer that just stood out there was taking pictures, Mm -hmm. and then the police, after all was done, you know, he was like, you know, I may have a picture of the guy who killed him from earlier that day because he recognized him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's that's the story behind it. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into 1982, roughly 81, and remember this was 1980. So now we're only looking at about roughly two years, Mm -hmm. year and a half since all this had happened. Carl Perkins, who was a, a big-time musician back in the late Great 50s, musician. early 60s, he he's the guy, you've probably heard Elvis sing Blue Suede Shoes. Mm-hmm. Carl Perkins is the one who wrote Blue Suede Shoes, and he performed it first. The Beatles actually got really close to him, and they recorded three of his songs, which was Matchbox, Honey Don't, and Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. So they loved Carl Perkins. Well, Paul McCartney... Back in uh, the end of 81, when he was doing his Tug of War album, he asked Carl Perkins if he'd come sit in and help and do a little bit on the album, which um, was their little payback to him, and Carl Perkins was more than happy to do it. When everything was all wrapped up, production, everything was done, Paul sat down and Carl said, hey, I've kind of got a song that I was inspired to write while I've been here. Would you like to hear it? And Paul McCartney said, sure, you know, obviously we'd like to do it. And he sits down on the floor. Carl Perkins, you know, grabs his guitar and he starts singing. He gets to the chorus and the chorus says, my old friend, think about me every now and then. And Paul just kind of looks at him and and he looks like he's got tears in his eyes. And Carl looks at him and he says, hey, I'm sorry. I don't I don't know what I said. I didn't mean to upset you. And he says, no. You didn't upset me, but I want to go get Linda, which was Paul McCartney's wife. I want to go get Linda, and I want you to play that for her. So he gets her. He sets her down. So they're both sitting on the floor. Carl's playing. He gets to the refrain again. You know, my old friend, think about me every now and then. And by the time he gets to and, and the first time he does it, Paul and Linda just look at each other. He gets to it the second time, and they look at each other again. And Paul gets up visibly shaken, tears in his eye, and he walks outside. And Carl looks at Linda, and he's like, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I don't know what I've done to upset him. I, that wasn't the intention. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, that's that's not it, Carl, but how did you know? And he said, how did I know what? And she said, that that saying in the song, uh, the, the you know, hey, for, hey, old friend, every now and then think about me. And um, he says, I don't know. I, I just inspired to write it. That's just what I wrote. And she said, the last time that... Myself and I saw John. It was outside the Dakota. He was getting ready to go in, and he turned around, and he looked at Paul, and he said, Hey, old friend, think about me every now and then. He said that was the very last words that John ever said to Paul when he saw him alive. Oh, wow. So somehow or another, Carl Perkins sitting there writes a song that had the exact same thing. And that's not the most common thing to say to somebody. Well, no. But for some reason, he had that exact same Same thought. 
Wow. All right. Here's the second John Lennon story. John Lennon's got two sons. He's got Sean, who's his youngest, but he's got an he's got an older son named Julian. And Julian John always felt guilty because Julian was born at the height of the Beatles' success. So they were not um he was not always the best dad to Julian. He kind of left him. Yeah. And he was raised by his mom Cynthia. And when it came time uh, later in life, Julian kind of always felt like that his newest son, Sean, because John John took off like five years from music to just be a stay-at-home dad, to do with Sean that he never did with Julian. And Julian kind of took a little bit of offense to that, and they never did have the greatest relationship, uh, even in adult life. And, you know, at, at this point in time, Right before John Lennon died, and his son was getting ready to uh, embark on a musical career mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but uh, later in life. But right about the time before John Lennon died, he had a really heart-to-heart talk with Julian. And he said, look, if there is an afterlife and I go, I will try to reach back and let somebody know that there is an afterlife. And he said, what I want you to watch for is a white feather floating in the air. If you see a white feather floating in the air, that's me. So Julian starts his his music career, and he's got this gig to play the Royal Albert Hall. In England, that's the Mecca. That's like Carnegie Hall in the United States. That's the place to be. And he gets this gig. He's nervous as hell. The day of the show, a package arrives at his house. Mm -hmm. That's actually his mom's house, Cynthia's house. But this package arrives. He opens it up. It was a Native American headdress that was given to John years ago. I think it was given to him actually, and I think it was given to him in India, but I, I can't remember. But it was given to him years ago. But somebody stole it. No way. And now somebody and was somebody up? was returning it. Oh gosh. But what was odd about this is when he opened the package, several white feathers flew in the air Aww. and floated down. See, John then went and got his headpiece back. Right. And he had this settling feeling oh, that his dad was there, and that was his way of knowing things would be okay. And he went out that night and had a great show. That makes me feel good inside. That is amazing. And it's so amazing how they are so alike. Like oh, yeah. Their voice, their, their voice looks, is alike. everything. They look alike. Oh, that is, that is such a good story. I thought so, too. I love that. Okay, here's the deal. We're going to end this show. And I, I don't have a clue what next week's show is going to be about. So Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The difference is, come this time next week, I will know you and will you know. still won't. Um, that was such a good story. I know. Gosh. I love John Lennon. I love John Lennon, too. And there, there is so much more we could talk about. And we're, oh, going to, yeah. we're going to, in the future, we're going to talk more about John Lennon because we got his obsession with the number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the whole, we've already played the um, Just Like Starting Over, where it's got the part in there that was yeah. not supposed to be in the song. Um, there's so many other, you know, the UFO thing. I mean, there's so many different oh, aspects yeah. of John that we can get into. And the whole Dakota uh, apartment building. That's the same building that Rosemary's Baby was filmed in. Mm, and really? The connect- yeah, there's connections to that. And yeah, it's all kinds of stuff we can get. We can make ties of that to the Manson family and all kinds of stuff. So, but we'll get into that another time because that's uh, that'd be a fun story that I want to spend more time on. Mm-hmm. So, what we're going to do now, we have our last little bit. We've got our joke of the week. And your joke of the week is brought by another 
podcast that we're going to play a little commercial for. It's by the name of Bloody Murders, and they're from Australia. And they actually mentioned us on their show. And they're, they're a fun listen. They they bring some comedy and yeah. true crime together. And nothing nothing's more funny than murder. So well, I think, hey, we, I think we can know. all agree. Uh, <laughs> so, but no, Tara and Barney, they do an awesome job. So let's give a real quick listen to them. Then we'll be back for the joke of the day, and we'll end this puppy. Any guys, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. Good evening, and this city remains stunned by yesterday's massacre. They are indeed. Let's get murdery. What were you thinking that first moment when the crocodile latched on? Smell the glory, daddy. Senor Nakupa. I was singing, I'm gone. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. We make bloody murder. Indeed. It's a weekly true crime podcast focusing on lesser known serial killers and crime stories from Australia. And around the globe. I like eating bananas and punching children. And I ran out of bananas. <laughs> Bloody Murder is available on iTunes, Stitcher. And pretty much everywhere. All right. Here is your joke of the week. So you've got this woman in Walmart. She's picking up some stuff. It's kind of late at night. She's got this drunk guy behind her. He's kind of annoying. She can hear him. She can smell him. And it's obvious that he's intoxicated. And then he just kind of looks at her and he says, hey, he said, you're single, aren't you? Well, she's kind of confused as to why he would say it. She looks down at what she's got on, on her on a little uh, conveyor belt mm-hmm. at Walmart, and she notices that she's got an air freshener, she's got some salad dressing and toothpicks. And she's like, what in the hell? How did this tip this guy off? <laughs> so she looks back at him, and she says, yes, as a matter of fact, I am single, but can I ask you... How in the world did you know that? And he said, because you're ugly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was so mean. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> kind of funny. Guys, thank you so much for listening to us We uh, we as we start our second year. This is it. And we greatly appreciate it. Remember, if you like what you hear and you want to hear some bonus stuff, there's going to be another listener's episode um, that we're already starting to record for the first of next month. So that'll be out. That'll be our seventh bonus episode, which means if you'd like to have seven bonus episodes, all you got to do is sign up for our Patreon account. And I'm actually going to put that on the Facebook page. You guys keep asking me to put it on the page and I keep forgetting. So dude, um, what's lacking? But you can go to the website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com and on the donate page, there actually is where you can click on it there. The link's there. I just didn't put it on the Facebook page. So, and if any of our local listeners, um, don't forget, we're going to be at Scarefest. Yes, because I forget every single week to say that. The last weekend of September, which I think is the 29th, 30th, and the 1st of October, Lexington, Kentucky, Scarefest. If you are in the Cincinnati, Nashville, um, anywhere, Indianapolis, that area, they're, they're coming from everywhere uh, in, uh, in that uh, two, three hour radius. Mm-hmm. Come out and see us. It'll be fun. We got a little table set up. Robert England, uh, the yes. Freddy Krueger, is going to be there along with a thousand other people. What's, Look, a, uh, what's that one guy's name? Uh, the clown guy? Sid Haig. He's oh. not going to be there. Oh, he's not? No. No. He's going to be at uh, uh, Days of the Dead in Louisville the, actually next weekend. Oh, dude, I didn't know he wasn't going to be there. Yeah, he's not going to be there. Eddie Munster may be there. Yeah, great. Uh-huh. Um, he don't. He looks the same, too, man. He ain't he changed does. a bit. He does. We got a picture we should post with us and Eddie Munster <laughs> a couple of years ago. But, yeah, come out and see us, man. We're going to have T-shirts for sale out there, and actually they'll be cheaper than what you can get them on the website. Not that I don't want you to buy T-shirts before then, because if you show up in a T-shirt, 
that's pretty damn cool. Oh man, that would be awesome. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be fun and and um, it our, is a lot of fun. Our friend, a lot of us have multiple friends. Uh, Embalmist Bree from um, um, Twitter, she's actually got the booth right next to ours. And mm-hmm. uh, we confirmed it today. We got the booths next to each other on purpose like months ago. And then we found out they were changing stuff for fire marshal rules because they're expecting a bigger crowd than normal. They they said that their pre-sale tickets are three times what they were last year already. No kidding. Yeah. So uh, they found, we found out that they moved us, but they still kept us together. Oh, so good. That was, yeah, we found good. Out but yeah, come out and see us. It'll be... Uh, for some of you who know both of us, we'll be right there next to each other. It'd be really cool. Yeah, that'd be great. We would love to see you guys for sure. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next week. Love you guys. Yeah.